Thanks, Andrew. Um, now that you all sat down, I'm going to have you stand, if that's okay, for the reading of the gospel. And uh, it's going to be old school. Come into the church. Um, this is the gospel according to Luke, uh, the 19th chapter, uh, starting at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the gospel of the Lord. You can be seated. So one uh, fateful day... 18 years ago, having spent my entire life in the state of Washington, I put everything I owned or everything that would fit in a red uh, Volkswagen Jetta and I drove across the country to this random place called Providence, Rhode Island, which is not on an island, I found out. Well, um, to a, a place I pretty much knew nobody except one person. And it was the most momentous, it was the most defining moment of my life so far. It was definitely the most daring and courageous thing I'd ever done. And the person I was moving out for was this young woman I'd met a year earlier and recently had started dating long distance. I didn't have a cell phone when I met her, and uh, so I bought one um, eventually. Um, there had been no promises. There was no talk of any kind of ring. Uh, even though we'd been friends for a year, we'd only dated long distance for like a couple months. And so in the back of both of our minds, we knew uh, there, were no, there, there was a chance that it might not work. There was, there was no guarantee. But I'll say this, I never would have gotten in my car and driven across the country if there hadn't at least been a decent chance in my mind that this young lady would marry me. Um, and that's, that's why I got in the car. That's why I took this road trip. Um, but what if I had known all along that when I finally arrived after my 3,000-mile journey in Providence that I would be rejected? And not just rejected, 
but humiliated and publicly shamed for everyone to see. Would I have gotten in the car? Would I have ever taken that road trip? And yet, this is exactly what, basically, Jesus does. And so on Palm Sunday, Jesus is at the end of this epic journey. Uh, For the last uh, 14 chapters of Luke, Jesus is talking about his journey to Jerusalem. He'd spent three years on earth, uh, 30 years on earth, three years in public ministry. But he's known the entire time that his journey is going to end in Jerusalem. And in the back of his mind, the whole time, he's been thinking about Jerusalem. And this is, this is not just a city to Jesus. This is a city that Jesus speaks about as if it's a person. And not just any person, but a woman. And not just any woman, but a woman with whom Jesus has had a long, complicated relationship. You guys remember back in the day on Facebook, you used to be able to define your relationship and say, it's complicated? That's Jesus in Jerusalem. So he's been on this trip to woo Jerusalem, to win her heart. And his longing, his hope, his goal is that when he finally arrives as king on her doorstep on Palm Sunday, that she would welcome him. And the two of them would be essentially married. He would be the king, her her king, and she would be his city. And he's been thinking about this for a long time. In Luke 9, several chapters back, 10 chapters back, he says, Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. Four chapters later, Luke 13, he says, It's necessary that I travel today and tomorrow and the next day because it's not possible for a prophet to die outside Jerusalem. And on Palm Sunday, he finally gets there. And as he approaches, he goes up the Mount of Olives. And as Jerusalem comes into view on the other side of the Kidron Valley to the west, Jesus bursts into tears. And they're not happy tears. Because the whole time, Jesus has known that Jerusalem will reject him. And not only will she reject him, she will shame him, humiliate him, abuse him, and ultimately kill him. Six times in the book of Luke, Jesus predicts his death. And yet for some reason, in spite of all this, he came anyway. On Palm Sunday, Jesus came anyway. Why? Why did he come? Why did Jesus come anyway? It's an important question. As we enter into this Holy Week, we're invited to walk with Jesus through this journey. And the heart of of Holy Week is not just about palm branches and liturgy and trumpet lilies and ham or lamb, depending on what you cook, and au gratin potatoes or... Uh, egg hunts, but at the heart of it is the story of a young man, a young Jewish prophet who stared rejection, humiliation, and death in the face and kept riding that donkey down the hill. And if we can understand the heart of this young, weeping Jewish prophet, we will understand the heart of God. Not just for Jerusalem, but for the world that he died to save for you and me. So this morning, I want to talk about why Jesus came anyway, okay? I want to talk about why did Jesus keep riding the donkey down the hill, even though it would lead to, even though he knew where it would lead him. And I want to share three reasons why Jesus came anyway. Here's the first. 
Jesus came anyway because he loves us. Because he loves us. He knew what would happen. He knew that the city would, would ultimately uh, lynch him. But he loved Jerusalem too much to stay away. So as he approaches the city, he sees it and he weeps over it. And the Greek word there is klio. Um, and, you know, it's a word that does mean to cry or weep. But the emphasis on this word is on the noise that's made. And it, one way to talk about it is to lament with sobs. Literally, Jesus is not able to contain his emotion. It's not just like a single dragon tear that rolls down his cheek. But this is like a full body sob. It's an ugly cry. I think I've cried like this once that I remember in my life. Do you want me to tell you about it? Um, so I will. Thank you. Um, it was in 2003. So um, I was on the plane home from Boston. It's the first time I'd ever been to New England. And I came out ostensibly uh, to visit my friend Dave, who's a space cadet. And uh, he forgot I was coming. So I was coming out to help someone move in to Harvard. And um, anyway, when I got here, uh, I didn't have a cell phone yet. And um, can you even imagine that? It, it, there was life before them. But. So I, I get to the airport, and I go to the, like a pay phone or something, and I call Dave, and he, he doesn't, he's not picking up. Luckily, I had... I had, I had planned to meet with the only other person in New England that I knew, which was my wife. I mean, not then. Um, and so she picked me up, and we're trying. she was going to drop me off at Dave's house. And anyway, Dave is, forgot I was coming and decided to go up to Maine. So he's in Maine, <laughs> which is not that far away, but it's pretty far. So, uh, so I spent the week with Sarah and her mom. Um, which is a good way to, you know, uh, make her mom like me, so I guess. Um, and I, before this, you know, I obviously thought Sarah was cute because she, she's, she is cute and she still is cute. Um, but uh, over the course of that week, I fell in love with Sarah. Um, and finally came the time to fly back. And... Um, Dave ended up showing up, by the way, and I'm like, I'm cool, dude. Like, I'm good. You go do your thing. I'm just going to hang out with Sarah. But yeah, I was totally in love with Sarah. And so on the plane back, there were these two thoughts that I had. The one thought, this, this young woman is perfect for me. I've never met anyone like her in my entire life. And the other thought was, there is no way that this is ever going to work. Like, I don't even know her that well. And she lives 3,000 miles away. And this is completely, this is not going to happen. And so I was feeling the tension between those, like, but she's perfect for me. But there's no way this could happen. And eventually, all I could do was try to find one of those, you remember those courtesy blankets they used to have on the plane? I just put it over my head, and I just sobbed. And I, I was in the middle seat, so, <laughs> so <laughs> just tried to keep it as quiet as I can. But you see, friends, that's how Jesus feels about you. That's how he feels about us. He, more than anything, since he created the world, he created humans, he has longed 
to be with us. He's longed for union with us. How many of you know, you really know that that's how God feels about you? What's the image that you have in your mind of God? Is he like a floating dude in the sky with a white beard, uninterested in you, doesn't care about your troubles or your hopes or your dreams? That's not what God looks like. He's not aloof. He looks like this young Jewish prophet riding his donkey and weeping. He loves us so much that it overwhelms him. He loves us so much he's willing to pay any cost. He loves us so much that he kept going, knowing what would happen to him. And I think there's some of us this morning that need to know that that's how God feels about you. Some of you need to know it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you will do. Jesus felt this way about a city that he knew was going to kill him. The love of God is different from any other kind of love. So he came anyway because he loves us. That's the first reason. The second reason he came anyway is that he wants us to experience peace. Peace is what's on Jesus' mind. As he looks at the city, as he sobs, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, if you, if you only knew on this day, what would make for peace? And when Jesus, uh, many of you know this, when he's talking about peace, he's not just talking about like the absence of conflict. The Jewish word would be shalom. And this kind of peace was a full, robust peace. It was right relationships, wholeness, redemption, everything being right. It harkens back to the Garden of Eden, how things were always supposed to be. The funny thing is that peace is actually part of the name Jerusalem. The ancient Jebusite name for the city was Salem, which is a, a variant of Shalom. And so the name of the city literally is the city of peace, which if you think about Jerusalem's history is deeply ironic. Um, and so it's, if you think about that, Jesus says, oh, Jerusalem, if you only knew what actually how to live up to your namesake. And then he trails off. Because Jesus predicts what's going to happen next to the city. 37 years after he rides into the city, General Titus of the Romans is going to lay waste to Jerusalem. The interesting thing is when Rome arrived, uh, when uh, actually Rome didn't really need a lot of help. The food was nearly gone in the city when Rome arrived, and people were already on the brink of starvation. Some people wonder if, if Jerusalem hadn't been so divided, even, if it, even within its own factions, if it had presented some kind of united front against the Romans, maybe it could have survived. And General Titus, when he writes about this, he the only thing he can attribute Jerusalem's fall to is divine judgment. Now, was General Titus right? Did God destroy Jerusalem in AD 70? I say no. I say God tried to save it when he rode into town on the donkey. But Jerusalem refused to surrender to God's leadership. So what is the thing that brings peace? What actually brings us peace? Peace comes under God's leadership. This is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, coming into the city. And he says, I'm going to lead you guys, but I'm not going to do it any way that you're used to at all. And the city didn't like that. But Jesus' way is so drastically different, isn't it, than the way of the world around us? It's so different. 
But the only way, Ephesians 2 says, he himself is our peace. And so, guys, we live in a profoundly divided moment, don't we, in our world? A violent, divided moment. We have a war happening in Ukraine. Not only that, but I think our country is as divided as I can ever remember it. Does anyone disagree with me? Um, we are in a deeply polarized moment. We're divided by so many things, aren't we? Divided by race, class, gender, politics, masking, not masking, vaccinating, not vaccinating. We can find all kinds of things to fight about. Some of us watch CNN. Some of us watch Fox News. You know, how do we as a society find peace? And I think what's even harder is that these divisions have actually invaded the church. And we're watching it happen. How do we avoid being ripped apart like the rest of the world is? I think we have to come under Jesus' leadership. He's coming to offer us his peace. And it looks really different than the way the rest of the world does, right? Jesus' peace looks like going to the cross. It looks like forgiving and loving your enemy. Not popular words today. So I just want to say this. Like, what would it look like for us? I've been thinking a lot about this. is deeply personal for me. But can I just say one thing? I think the church, part of our calling in this moment, is to be a beacon of hope and a ray of light to a deeply divided world. And part of that means that we have to show what it looks like for us to be at peace with each other. It's so important. And if we can't do that, the world won't, it won't notice us. It's the, one, it's the one thing we have to offer. And so just one practical plea, a pastoral plea. You know, the way the world deals, like how many of you have had conflict in your life, okay? You've had interpersonal conflict. Maybe it's been at your job. Maybe it's been in your family. Maybe it's been... Uh, at home, maybe it's with your relatives, maybe it's with your neighbors. How we deal with conflict, I think, is part of this question of will we submit to the way of Jesus or not, right? And let me just suggest, could everyone please read Matthew 18? Because in Matthew 18, Jesus tells us how in the church we are supposed to deal with our conflict. Now, I know it doesn't always work, but here's the main, here, you want to know the main idea? If your brother or sister sins against you, what is the first thing you do? You post it on Insta. <laughs> you talk to everyone else about it first and start a rumor mill. No, you go and talk to them. Now, maybe it's going to go really poorly, and in that case, Jesus has all kinds of next steps. But, you know, John Lennon wrote a song. All we're saying is give peace a chance, right? Give Jesus one chance to try to heal that relationship, okay? Can we agree to that? I would love that. And I think, I think if, the wor if we would try that, then the world could see a ray of light and a beacon of hope in a dark and divided moment. So Jesus came to offer us peace. Sorry, I, I started ranting there. All right, back to my sermon. Uh, the final reason that Jesus came is that he wants to give us a second chance. So this is what, as I've been reflecting on, this is the part that just completely blows me away. Everybody 
is we're walking through this week, everybody rejected Jesus. Every single person. Maybe not his mom. I don't know. I can't tell about his mom. Maybe, you know, I I bet she was good. But everyone else rejected him. The rulers, the crowds, his disciples, even his best friends, they all ran away. Peter denied him. Peter had three chances to get his back, to just even admit that he knew who Jesus was. Peter failed. They all failed. How many of you have ever failed God? How many of you have ever let God down? Maybe you promised something to God and you couldn't keep your promise. Maybe there's a sin pattern in your life that you wanted to try to change, but you just can't. Maybe you've made a mistake or many mistakes that have damaged other people. I know I have. Maybe God told you to do something and you didn't do it. Or maybe he told you not to do something and you did it. And maybe there's shame for some of you this morning because of that, because of the ways you've let God down. Maybe some of you are even reeling this morning because of the ways you failed God. What do we do with our failures? What do we do when we let God down? Do we pretend our failures don't exist? Do we hide them? Do we hide from them? Do you do do what I do? I get sucked into them like a black hole. Just get lost. Do you listen to the voice of the accuser who says, oh, that's it. God doesn't love you anymore. He can't use you. What does God do with our failures? What does he do when we let him down? Do you know what I think he does? He rides down the hill on his donkey And he takes all of them onto himself, and he takes them to the cross where they die with him. And then on the third day, he rises from the grave to give us a second chance. He gives Peter a second chance. He gives the disciples a second chance. He gives Jerusalem a second chance. Think about this. Think about this is what blew me away. Ready? The people that were gathered on on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, many of those were pilgrims. 100,000 pilgrims came into Jerusalem. They stayed for both holidays because they're so close. Do you know where those crowds were 50 days previously? They were in front of Pilate, and many of those people were shouting, crucify him. Those people. And so when Peter stands up, in front of them, and he says, Jesus is the Messiah, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. The text in Acts says they're cut to the heart. And we think, oh, wow, it was a convicting message. Yeah, it probably was, but you know what else? Some of them actually knew that they directly participated in Jesus' death. Okay, think about that. And then Peter says, and they say, what shall we do? What do we do with our failures? We let Jesus down. And what does Peter say? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Right? What does God do? He gives them a second chance. And think about this. The entire church, 3,120 of the first disciples, let Jesus down in the most royal and direct way possible. And God gave them a second chance. And so what I want to say is at its most basic level, the church 
is that community of people who decide to receive the second chance that Jesus offers the world. So where do you need a second chance this morning? Where are you bound by guilt or shame? Jesus doesn't dismiss our sin. He doesn't dismiss our failures, but he carries them to the cross. And some of us need a second chance today. And so my invitation is just to bring him your sin. Bring him your failures. Bring him your mistakes. Trust that he came to forgive you and to give you a second chance as you surrender to him. And in a minute, we're just going to have an opportunity to receive some prayer time and to confess our sins and to receive the love and the forgiveness of God. And I want to invite you uh, to participate in that. So as we close, if I had known, uh, if I had known that Sarah would reject me, I never would have ended up here. I never would have gotten in the car. But on Palm Sunday, Jesus came anyway. He came anyway because he loves us. He came anyway to bring us peace. He came anyway to give us a second chance. But maybe Jesus doesn't just come anyway. Maybe he doesn't just come in spite of. Maybe Jesus also comes for something. 37 years after Palm Sunday, both the temple and the city of Jerusalem were leveled by the Romans, just as Jesus said in this passage. But what if Jesus didn't just come to, to warn a doomed city and its temple? What if Jesus was coming to build a new city and a new temple? temple is a meeting place between God and humanity. It's a place where peace is made. And if that's the case, there were two temples on Palm Sunday. One was on the mount in the city, and the other was across the Kidron Valley, riding on a donkey. Both temples were destroyed. The first temple, it took 37 years for it to be destroyed. The second temple was destroyed on Good Friday. And in all these years since, that first temple, the one made of stone, has never been rebuilt. But the second temple was raised on the third day. And where will God put this temple? He'll put it in a new city, a city whose cornerstone was laid when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, a city that already, even now, exists with God in heaven and one day, at the end of history, will come down to earth. It's not the old Jerusalem. It's the new Jerusalem. And in Revelation, John says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus didn't just come anyway. He didn't just come in spite of or even though. He came because. And at the very moment, Jesus was being shamed and humiliated and killed by the first Jerusalem, he was proposing marriage to the second. And the second said yes. And the wedding hasn't happened yet, but the bride is being made ready. Come, the angel tells John in the last chapters of Revelation, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for our husband. And we, friends, 
are called to be part of that city. So we surrender our lives to Jesus, our King. And so he came, not because he knew the old Jerusalem would say no, but because he knew the new Jerusalem would say yes. And so I told you I never would have gotten in the car if I didn't know there was a decent chance that Sarah and I would be married. And in the end, I don't think Jesus and I are different after all. Amen.